Now let's turn in our Bible today to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 4. Having finished our studies in the book of 1 Peter, we're just preaching these past few weeks, and again this week, a miscellaneous message, one that we trust will tie into the theme of today. And we're going to read from Romans chapter 4, and we're reading from verse 16. Romans chapter 4, verse 16. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Romans chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed. Not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offences and was raised again for our justification. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We'll end the reading there, Romans chapter 5, verse 1. And we pray that God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scripture. Now, my text this morning is taken from Romans chapter 4. And we want to think about the words in Romans chapter 4 verse 16 But to that also which is of the faith of Abraham Who is the father of us all And my theme today is simply entitled How to be a great father for God Now this is traditionally called Father's Day. It's usually uh, on the third Lord's Day in June. And of course at this time fatherhood is celebrated around the English-speaking 
world. And I was thinking, well, we usually preach on Mother's Day, on a Mother's Day sermon. And of course, there's many fine godly mothers in the Bible. And sadly, there's some um, bad mothers also revealed in the scriptures. And I thought, well, you know, usually on Father's Day, we don't usually preach a, a Father's Day sermon. There may be some occasions in past ministry where we've done that. But I was thinking of the word father today. And I asked myself, I wonder how many times it's mentioned in the Bible. Children, young people, do you know how many times it's mentioned in the scriptures? How many would you think? Let me tell you. 1,511 times. Isn't that a lot of times? The Holy Ghost has put the word fathers in the Bible 1,511 times. That's a lot of references. And of course, in the Bible, there's loads of poor examples of fathers. Think of a man called Ahab. He was a king on the throne. And we read of Ahab in 1 Kings um, chapter 22 and the verse 52. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father. And in the way of his mother. And in the way of Jeroboam the son of Nebat who made Israel to sin. And of course, over in the book of Psalms, in uh, Psalm uh, 78, it says in the verse 8, speaking of the children of Israel, and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not set steadfast with God. And again in the same Psalm, Psalm 78, 57, it says, but turned back and dwelt unfaithfully like their fathers. They were turned aside like a deceitful bow. And these Bible references, these provide proof to us that there are many bad fathers about. And of course, a bad father is not hard to find. And what was true in the Old Testament, young people, is true even in our day and generation, true in the 21st century. And Opposite to that, it's also important that we focus in many wise and good godly fathers. And did you know about three and a half thousand years ago, God looked down from heaven. He looked in a very gracious, merciful, redemptive way upon a man called Abraham. Abraham was 75 years old at the time. He lived in the land of modern-day Iraq. And God declared that that man, Abraham, at 75 years of age, was going to be the father of us all. Not only was he going to be a father with a family at 75 years of age, but he was also going to be the father of of us all, not just the father with a son, but the father of a whole nation, and in fact the father of all who believe. And I thought of Abraham as a father, and there's 230 references to Abraham on a, as a father, and that got me thinking, how to be a great father for God, or how to be a great father like Abraham was for God. And that's what we're going to think about this morning. We're going to think about how to be a great father for God. And I have four little points that I want to leave with you. First of all, I want us to think that Abraham was a saved father. Now, the story of Abraham is 
a, a glorious one. It's a story of God's amazing grace in his life. This man became known as the friend of God. James chapter 2, verse 23. And also the father of the faithful, the father of all that believe. And here's a reference in Romans chapter 4. And it says, now to that only which is of the law, but also, but that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I've made thee a father of many nations. I want you to think of Abraham as an old man, 75 years old, and he's living in a place called the earth of the Chaldees. How do I know he's 75 years of age? Well, the Bible tells us. In the book of Genesis, chapter 12 and verse 4, it says, So Abraham departed, as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abraham was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. Haran was uh, like, like the town in this place called the Ur of the Chaldees. Now, Abraham's seventy-five years old. He's living in the Ur of the Chaldees, now Iraq. And this is an historical true story in a little town called Haran. And he's there with his father called Terah. He's got a wife called Sarah. He's got a nephew called Lot. And God comes and speaks to Abraham. Now up to that point, up to 75 years of age, he has no knowledge of God. He lives in a land full of idolatry. He himself was an idolater, a worshiper of idols. He had no religious training, no religious upbringing, no religious background, no Bible, no church. And, and he's just living his life. From the day of his birth up to his 75, born into a home of idolatry, and he becomes an idolater himself. He's following in his daddy's footsteps. But the wonderful thing about this is, he's not left to himself. Because at the age of 75, the grace of God comes to him. The glory of God appears to him. And that, that's an incredible and important statement. God revealed himself to Abraham. God met with him. God came and spoke to him. God revealed himself to him in a wonderful, gracious, saving way. Abraham's eyes were opened. He saw a sin. He saw the horror and evil of idolatry. He, 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 he uh, saw his need of a saving relationship with the God of heaven. And you know what we're told in the Bible? That Abraham believed God. And it was counted unto him for righteousness. If you look at Romans 4 verse 17 it says. Before him whom he believed. Even God. We're told there in the um, Romans 4 and 22. And therefore it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And over in the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 12. And in the verse um, um, seven. <coughs> sorry, it's, it's, it's Genesis fifteen. Uh, it, it says, "And he believed in the Lord." Verse six, and he counted it to him for righteousness. There's the truth of justification. 
There's the great doctrine, which is the article of a standing or falling church. Now, now think of this. Abraham was not seeking God. He was not interested in God. He maybe had no time for God. He was an idolater. God took the initiative. God came to where he was in Haran, in the earth of Chaldees. God stepped into his life. God revealed himself to him. And God saved him from a life of sin. And God called Abraham to himself. And Abraham became a true believer, a true follower, Abraham was a recipient of the true saving grace of God. And at the age of 75, this man was no longer the same. He was not a perfect man. He had flaws and weaknesses, but he was not the same. He was on a journey. He left the earth, the Chaldees. He left his home in Iran, and he made his way to this land that God was going to show him. He was a man of worship, he built altars along the way, and on that altar he offered a sacrifice. So he was a man of worship on the base of sacrifice everywhere he built an altar. He was a man of prayer, and we, we can discover some of the prayers of Abraham in the Bible. It's a, it's a wonderful sermon all in itself. He was a man who recognized the need for a life of separation unto God. And he, he, he lived in tents in the land of promise. He, he was a man who wasn't afraid of a battle uh, whenever the enemy came. Uh, and they took his nephew Lot and all his cattle and a few other possessions. Abraham went out and, and fought with them to, to save his loved ones. He, he was a man who lived for the glory of God. He, he, he was a man of true faith. He was a man who was genuinely converted. I want to ask this morning, if Abraham was a saved father at the age of 75, a time when God came and spoke to him, revealed himself to him, God was gracious to him, showed him his sin, and God brought him into a right relationship with himself, has that been your experience today? Can you say in truth before the Lord, I'm a saved father? Or a saved man or saved woman, a saved young person. I'm trusting in the Lord. See, Abraham believed God. He, he trusted in the Lord. And the Lord counted that to him for righteousness. He was a truly justified man. I want you to think of something else. Abraham was not only a saved man, but he was a single-minded man or a single-minded father. You see... Think of the origination of fatherhood. See, Abraham knew that fatherhood originates with God. In other words, it comes from God. It didn't originate with us. It wasn't a concept that was formulated by men. Oh, I'd become a father. It didn't start with men. It started with our maker. And you see, when we think of fatherhood, when we think of fathers, we have to think first and foremost of our Heavenly Father who made us. You only have to think of the doctrine of the Trinity. Three persons in one. A complete mystery, but revealed in the Bible. We believe in Trinitarianism. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But God the Father. And you see, men as fathers have to think of God as father God is the father of all men as far as creation is concerned Malachi chapter 2 mentions that God created man in his own image and, and in his own likeness and every father 
points us, or should point us, to think about God as Father. God is my Father in the sense that he made me in his own image, so we think about the fatherhood of God. And of course, God is the Father of all who truly believe. He's the Father of all who put their faith and trust in Christ as Lord and Saviour. Brings them into a family. We are family, brothers and sisters are we. And, and when you think about Abraham being a single-minded man, he could have asked himself, if I'm going to be a father, where did a fatherhood originate? It originated with God. And you also think about the object. A father ought to set a good example to his children. Because what fathers do, children see, observe, learn from, and seek to do as well. Let me give you an example. Somewhere in America in the 1960s, there was an anti-smoking commercial. It was run on the black and white television. And um, it pictured a father and a son who was out for a walk. And as the commercial goes, the father walking along picked up a stone and threw it. What did the young son do? He did the same. The father then started to whistle. I don't know why he's whistling Dixie or what he was, but the son started the whistle. And then the father pulled out a packet of cigarettes and lit up a cigarette. And the young fellow looked around, and as the commercial goes, there was a packet of cigarettes on the side of the road. He picked them up and put out the cigarette and put it to his lips. In other words, he was copying his father. And that was the point of the commercial. And it was an anti-smoking commercial. And it was saying to, saying to fathers, if you smoke, your children are being influenced to smoke as well. You're setting an example. You, you, you teach your children by actions and by words and, and even by reactions. And sure, we all know that. A father can be an influence for good or God. A father could be an influence for sin or Satan in, in, in the home. There's another story told about a man in Chicago who was fond of going to the bar uh, and uh, one particular uh, morning, uh, whenever the bars opened, uh, it was a, a snowy morning uh, and he was heading off to get some alcohol and he heard a voice behind him and it says, Dad, I'm coming in your steps. And he looked around and there his son was coming and he says, Son, where are you going? And he says, Dad, I'm following in your steps. I'm going where you're going. And of course, that was a wise father because he picked the son up and headed back home and vowed he would never go back into the, the public house again. And I just thought, you know, if we influence our children, how many fathers in Northern Ireland have influenced their children to um, a life of alcoholism um, by, by taking them to the pub, by going there and setting an example for the children to follow. But what about the house of God? Oh, that we had fathers who would have set an example and bring their children to the house of God. An influence for good. And that was the object. And also, there's an outlook. You think of the world's big idea of being a father. What does it mean to be a father if we ask the philosophers or, or, or ask the, the intellectuals down in the university? I want to tell you, the world's idea of being a father and the word of God's teaching about fatherhood is completely different. For the world's idea is far removed from the Bible. We live in a world where 
We're told we really don't need fathers in the home. And children are encouraged to read books, even in educational circles, especially in Scotland. But they want to introduce it to Northern Ireland about boys or girls having two mummies. And what's all that about? It's an agenda to, to deny the biblical teaching of fatherhood. What is best for a child? Having a father and a mother. That, that's the general rule of teaching for the scriptures. Because godly fathers can have a tremendous blessing and a tremendous impact on the home. You see, Abraham was not only a saved man, but he was a single-minded man. And from the day that he got saved, he had one overarching thought in his mind. And it was this. To live for the glory of God as a faithful father. If God has told me I'm going to be the father of many nations, then I want to be as faithful to being a father as I can be. I accept that my fatherhood originates with God. I accept the object. I can be an influence in my home. And I want to be a godly influence. And I can have one outlook. I must live, therefore, to the glory of God. You think of Abraham for a little moment, young people. Think of that Genesis 22 story when he took his son, who was probably a teenager at this time, up Mount Moriah to worship God. Isaac asked the question, Daddy, we've got the fire, we've got the wood, but where's the lamb? And Abraham, of course, said, uh, God will provide himself a lamb, Genesis chapter 22, verse 8. But, but, but think of Abraham taking the boy out of the home. He doesn't tell his mother. There's no record of that in the Bible. They're on a three-day hike to, to a place that Abraham has been shown by God. Abraham has the thought in his mind as he sets out, God has told me to kill my son. That, that's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to put him to death on the altar. I'm going to offer him as a sacrifice to God. And, and anybody reading that would think, there's a bad father. He hasn't told his mother. You could think of the objection, oh, mommy, I'm taking Isaac up Mount Moriah and I'm going to put him to death in three days' time. Well, the mother would be horrified. And, and you would think from, from a, 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 a human perspective, that man was a bad father. But let's view it from a biblical perspective. Abraham was the best father in the world. Because <coughs> he's a single-minded father. My fatherhood reflects the glory of God. It reflects God as my father. I've got an object. I must influence my son for God. And I must seek to glorify God. What was most important? Abraham's worthy devotion to God. He wanted to be a father that Isaac could be proud of. And what's most important, fathers, for our children? Education. Education's good, but it's not the most important. Our child's career, job, having money, no. The most important thing that a father should have a single-minded view of is to put the Lord first, God first. 
Seek ye first the kingdom of God, the Bible says, and his righteousness, and all these other things shall be added unto you. Living for God a life of self-sacrifice. Living as a man who feared God. And Abraham feared God. Doesn't the Bible say over there in Psalm 128, uh, and it's in the context of family, it's a tremendous statement. Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways. See, Abraham feared God. And that was at the heart of his single-mindedness. And therefore he aspired to be the best father that, that he could be. It's a key part of being a godly father. He wanted to be the best kind of a dad. So not only was he saved at age 75, but from he was saved and told he's going to be a father, a father of many nations, whatever that meant, he had a single-mindedness to that. Now the third thing is this, and I, I, I'll be very quick. I, I want you to think of Abraham as a strong man. Now I'm not thinking of Abraham strong physically, uh, as far as um, physical strength is concerned. But I want you to think of Abraham as being strong for God. If you look at Romans chapter 4 for a verse, moment, it says in verse 20, He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. See, Abraham was a strong man. He was strong in faith. That, that's the first thing I would want you to, to, to lapse on. Think of him at 75 years of age, living by faith, as a stranger in the land of promise. And God comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to give you this land. And I'm going to fill this land, Abraham, with all your descendants. You're going to have loads of children. I and Abraham are going to do something else. I'm going to give you a son of your own flesh. I'm going to give you an heir. Now, Abraham, of course, could have said, Okay, God, that's wonderful. But did you know that there's three small problems? Did you ever think of it? When God said, I'm going to give you a son of your flesh and heir, Sarah was 99 years of age. She was barren and fertile all her life. She didn't have any children. And she probably had gone past the age of having a child. She no longer could bear a child. Abraham was a hundred years old, one year older than Sarah, and he wasn't able to procreate a child. Could, could you just imagine, I, I've sat and thought about this. They're there in their tent. Merchants are coming along, they're buying and selling cattle, they're sharing a meal. And Sarah's good looking, of course. Abraham, you can just imagine the conversation, you've got a lovely wife. Your wife's really good for her age. God has been good to you. You've got uh, riches galore. You, you, you've got <coughs> loads of cattle and livestock. You're doing well. What, what does Abraham mean? The name Abraham. It just means a father of many. And that's what it means. And you could just imagine the merchant said, well, well, Abraham, where's your sons and daughters? Have you got any pictures of them? I'd love to see them. How many children do you have, Abraham? Now remember, he's in his tent. He's in the land. He's got this promise. I'm going to give you descendants. You're going to have a son of your flesh, an heir from yourself. 
And Abraham's thinking, Sarah's 99 and I'm 100. And these boys are asking me, how many children do you have? And here's the answer. Not one single child. And yet God had promised the land. God had promised descendants, the lands to you and your seed. And I'm going to give you a child of your flesh. You're, you're going to have a son. What's the answer? Whenever Sarah heard that, did you know that she laughed? It was a big, hearty, bellow laugh. In other words, it was impossible. It's not able. It's not possible. I've had a long marriage and, and, and we've never had a child and it's not going to happen. Whenever God told Abraham in Genesis 15, Abraham was talking about Eliezer being an heir of his house. And God says, it'll not be your adopted son that's your heir. It'll be one from your own body. And of course, when that promise just didn't materialize at that moment, then, then Sarah, she decided to step in and give uh, Abraham Hagar. And he had a, a relation with Hagar and Ishmael was born. And then God told him that Ishmael will not be your heir. It'll be one from your own body. And if you want the, the exact reference, it's in Genesis chapter 15. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. Now, it's not tremendous. You're going to have a son by Sarah. She's 99 and you're 100. But you're going to have a son by Sarah. And Abraham believed God. Genesis chapter 17. And in the verse um, uh, 15. And God said unto Abraham. As for Sarah thy wife. Thou shalt not call her name Sarai. But Sarah shall be her name and I will bless her and give thee a son also of her yea I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations kings of people shall be of her and um, you know th this is a wonderful story Abraham's own inability Sarah's own inability but did you know what the promise was fulfilled contrary to all the facts God did a great job and what was Abraham's response when God told him this? I believe God. I believe what God says he's going to do. I have faith in God. God will be faithful to his word. Abraham didn't look at the circumstances. He didn't look at the situation. He didn't say that's impossible. He, he, he didn't doubt God. He didn't say no way. Abraham banked on the promises of God. And even though he was as good as dead in his body, there was a day when he snuggled up to Sarah and he became intimate with her. And a few months later, she was putting on weight. And then at the end of that nine-month period, even though she was 99, the God of impossible kept his word and the fulfillment of the promise, Isaac was born. Something else very quickly, not only a strong faith, but Abraham had a strong love. Do you know Abraham loved God above everything else? Think of Isaac as a teenager now. And Isaac, of course, was the special son that was longed for and prayed for. 
He was the, the heir born of Abraham's old age, a child of, of promise. And Abraham loved him. I believe he loved him without limits. He had hopes for the boy, the son of promise, God's promise to me. And in Genesis 21, or Genesis 22, if you look at it, but what are we told there in Genesis 22? You should turn to the reference. Just, just read the portion. Genesis 22. What are we told there? And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here am I. The word tempt means test. Look at verse 2. Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering unto one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. Now, now that's an important scripture. Did Abraham love God more than he loved Isaac? Or did Abraham love Isaac more than he loved God? Was his love to God first and central? Did he love God even more than his own son? Where was his heart? Where was his affections? And I want to tell you, according to Genesis 22, Abraham loved God even more than he loved Isaac. He put God first before his family. See, the first great commandment is, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. He was not called to neglect his family. He was not called to ignore the needs of his family. But he was called to love God supremely. To love God first. He had a strong love for God. And it grew out of his single-mindedness. Isn't there a danger of making an idol out of our children? Isn't it easy for our love to God to fade and to wane and to be neglected? This was a test. And Abraham was being tested. And he was being tested in what area? His love for God first. And that's something we should all consider. Where are our hearts? Where are our affections? It's easy to have, in a sense, faith in God. But Abraham had a strong love for God. Aye, and he had a strong hope in God. The Bible tells us there in Romans 4 and verse 18, who against hope believed in hope. And that only wasn't when, when Isaac was born. That was when Isaac was a teenager and he was about to put him in the altar. You see, he trusted God in the, even in the midst of hard and difficult circumstances. This sacrificing of Isaac was not only a test of his love, but it was a test of his faith. Remember, he's God's promised son to Abraham. From Isaac and his seed, a great nation is going to come. All the families of the earth will be blessed. And of course, it ties into the gospel. It ties into Christ. And what did God say to him? Take now thine only son whom thou lovest and offer him to me upon the altar. In other words, take your son and put him to death. He didn't argue. He didn't say there's no way I'm doing that, God. He didn't protest. He didn't say, God, you're stupid. You're, you're out of your mind. He didn't doubt God's plan. He didn't say, well, well this can't be of God. God's a God of love, and, and God wouldn't ask me as a father to do that. No. Genesis chapter 22 records the story. It's true. It actually happened. They left their home. They went on a three-day journey. They climbed the Mount of Moriah, and Abraham built an altar there. And Isaac was on the altar. He lifted the knife. He was about to put him to death. 
And they had unbelievable, unshakable faith in God. Do you know why, young people? Because they believed that God could raise the dead. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 to 17. We'll not turn to it, but you turn to it. Hebrews 11, 13 to 17. He believed that God could raise up a son. And if I put the knife in him and he dies in this altar, well, God can raise him up again. Do you know why? Because God will be true to his promise. He trusts God, whatever. He had a real, unshakable trust in God. A real, unshakable hope in God. A hope that God was absolutely sovereign. That, that, that God was a loving Father. That God was his God. That, that God could raise the dead. His hope was sure and steadfast. Aye, and not only had he a strong hope, but he had a strong obedience. He obeyed God. Did you know that Abraham got up early in that morning? Why did he get up early? I believe because he had a strong desire to do the will of God. And of course you know the story. How that he was about to plunge the knife in obedience to God's word. God stopped him. There was a ram caught in the thicket. And that ram was offered in the stead of Isaac. And that Isaac had already been heard Abraham his father say to the servants you wait here and the lad will me go up yonder and worship and return again there was proof that Abraham was a strong father strong in faith strong in, in, in um, hope strong in obedience strong in love not only was he a single minded father and a strong father. But I want you to think of one final thing. He was a stout-hearted father. Did you know he prayed about God's promise of a son? Did you know he prayed about Ishmael? You know, it's a wonderful thing, young people, if you have a father <laughs> who's praying for you. Abraham prayed for his boy. And I believe Abraham would have prayed, even going up the mountain. Thinking about the sacrifice of Isaac. And maybe we should think of this as we close. And our time is gone. And I have much more than I'd love to say in this. But I, I daren't. I want you to think of Genesis chapter 22. And read the story. Do you know what it mentions in verse 3? The place of which God had told him. It mentions in verse 4. Then in the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes. And saw the place afar off. It mentions again in verse 9. And they came to the place where God had told them off. And Abraham built an altar there. Laid the wood in order. Bound Isaac his son. And laid him on the altar upon the wood. And look at verse 14. It says, And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh. As it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. That place was Moriah. And that's the very place where the Lord Jesus was eventually crucified outside the city walls of Jerusalem. There's God revealing to Abraham the place. And that was a special place, Mount Moriah. And God told Abraham, sacrifice your son there. And the ram with the crown of thorns in his head was sacrificed in Isaac's stead. 
And Abraham watched the sacrifice and he looked in the substitute and thought of the bleeding lamb dying for me. And of course, it's a picture of Calvary. And what was Abraham stout hearted about? Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. And what day was that? The day of Christ's coming and the day of Christ's crucifixion and, and the day when Christ would be the sacrifice for sinners. He would be the lamb slain and he was stout hearted in that. I wonder, are you a saved father this morning? Are, are you a father who's single-minded? You want to put God first and live to his glory? Are you a father who's strong in faith and love and hope and obedience? And are you start-hearted to the place of sacrifice, the place of the shed blood? Because Abraham was devoted to that place. Abraham's the father of us all. And I trust this morning these few thoughts will bless to you as we think about fatherhood and fathers today.